Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the privilege of talking to Renee Bruns. You guys, Renee recently set a Guinness World Record for the most countries visited in one year in a wheelchair. Now, when we recorded this conversation, she was actually in Bali, which is 13 time zones away. So we recorded this conversation at 7.30 in the morning, which is 8.30 at night where she was at. And I'm guessing she slept really well because this conversation turned into a rapid fire Q&A session with her. Oh my gosh, you guys. It was like, where's the best place she visited? What's the craziest thing she's seen on an airplane or an airport? And what's her favorite trip so far? Also, this seems to be a regular occurrence with guests, but on this episode, Steph loses her daggone mind. Lose it. When she finds out her and Renee both grew up in Northwest Ohio, just miles away from each other. Oh, you guys, we can't wait for you to hear this amazing conversation with new world record holder, Renee Bruns. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph. <laughs> You're already guessing fun facts here. I am. And I'm like, and, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. I'm getting so anxious. I want fun facts like at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Well, friends, our next guest is the definition of a world traveler. She recently set the Guinness Book of World Records for the person who has traveled to the most countries in one year using a wheelchair. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Miss Renee Bruns. Oh, Miss Renee, we're so excited to have you. Thank you both. I am thrilled to be here. So, so excited to talk with you both. I know this is going to be a fantastic conversation. And we have to feel sorry for Renee because when she got on, she's like, yeah, I'm in Bali right now. I'm like, oh, poor thing. You're in Bali. But I'm impressed she's not outside, though. I would totally be outside, like flaunting the trees and the water and everything. I have to tell you, it's 8.30 p.m. where I am, so it's dark. And dark time in Bali... I don't know how to say this correctly, but there's a lot of bugs and a lot of creepy crawlies. Oh, and I, don't okay. really, I don't really like bugs. And I'm, when I'm talking bugs, I'm not talking, you know, there's little spiders or flies. These are like massive bugs. So <laughs> as soon as the sun goes down, I'm like, all right, I need to be back Time inside. to go inside. <laughs> oh my gosh. I would be packing bug spray everywhere I go, Steph. Well, you know what? That brings up a crazy point because every place you go has different insects, or reptiles that you have to be concerned about. Has there ever been an opportunity or a situation where you're like, what the frick did I get myself into here? Oh, for sure. For sure. I've had several hotel rooms where, and to your point about the bug spray, I bring the bug spray along, but I will wake up and see some sort of giant creature crawling around on the floor and I'm you know, barefoot in bed. Like, all right, I'm going to get into my wheelchair, put my feet up in the air, try to kill this thing with this tiny little bottle of bug spray, which, you know, it's part of seeing the world, I suppose. Girlfriend, I would be in your wheelchair, like trying to roll over it. Like wherever that bug went, I'd be rolling. <laughs> I have not tried that. Maybe I will have to give that a give that a go. Let us know how it goes. 
<laughs> you're you're going to need a little video camera in my room to that watch that all awesome. them. Yes. <laughs> okay. I want to know what brought this sabbatical of traveling around the world. So it's a long story that I will abbreviate as much as I can, but I will tell you that it started before I even knew it was starting. So when I was five, I went to New York City with my mom. It was the first time I had left. I I grew up in a small town in Ohio. So it was the first time I had left Ohio on an airplane going to New York City. So like the, the vast difference of New York City compared to the farm that I was growing up on, I was just like awestruck. So in a weird way, it got me going to start traveling outside of, you know, where I was growing up at. And then we went from there, we started traveling the U.S. So that was the beginning part, you know, while I was still young that we were traveling. Just you and your mom? My mom. So what happened after the New York trip, we came back and I said, I want to go see more of the world. I want to see all 50 states. That was my goal. You know, as a little girl in elementary school, I wanted to see all 50 states. So my mom, she wanted to do a family trip with us every year. So every summer we, we would load up in the car. We usually drove. Sometimes we would drive or fly, but we usually drove. We'd, we'd camp or tent wherever we were going to, to save money. There were four children, my mom, my dad. So there were six of us. We'd drive. And by the time I was 16, I had been to all 50 states. Wow. So what happened from there is I said, all right, well, I'm 16. I've now seen all of the United States, Alaska, Hawaii, everything you know included. So like now what's next? I'm, I'm still so young. So I have the rest of the world. So I started traveling internationally in my early 20s. And then a year ago, I was super burnt out from the corporate world, from living through the pandemic, you know, all the things that everyone's reading in the news. My story was no different than that. And I said, I'm going to take a year and I'm going to redefine what I want my life to look like. I'm going to go out and travel. And I was going completely on my own. I have a long-term boyfriend. We've been together for 10 years. He said, I don't want to go right now. I'm in the heat of my career. I'm loving it. You go do this, this self-discovery trip, if you will, on your own, come back and see what you want your life to look like. So I left and here I am. Wow. Okay, Renee, you said a small town, Ohio. My wife is dying over here. Please uh-huh. share with stuff. Where do you grow up? Uh, Maria Stein, Ohio. Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. I don't even want to know. This is one of my fun fact stuff. She graduated from Marion Local High School. So tell Renee. Mac conference, girl. I was Parkway. No way. (laughs) Oh, my my God. My dad was superintendent at Parkway, and then he became the high school principal after he retired at Coldwater. Seriously, what a small world. What a So when he said Bruns, I was like, Bruns? I know Bruns. I know that name. Of course. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so freaking excited right now. <laughs> I can't believe this. Oh, I have Renee. to tell you, I was when I was looking up both of you, so one of you went to Ohio Northern, which is where I got my undergraduate degree from, and the yes. other one of you went to Capital University, where, which is where I got my MBA from. So this is like all coming full circle, this very intimate connection to such a small part of the world. It's I'm, I'm also blown away. How crazy. That's amazing. Between the two of you, you are destroying my list of fun facts here. (laughs) So that was my second fun fact. You already took my other fun fact that she had visited all 50 states by the age of 16. The other fun fact was that she went to the Harvard of the Midwest. Yes. Like myself at Ohio Northern University. And then she got her MBA from Capital University where you graduated from as well. 
That's amazing. So is it true you were the first student at Ohio Northern to be in a wheelchair and the buildings mm-hmm. didn't have all the accessibility to yep. ramps and all of that because you were the first student? Is that correct? It is true. So a kind of fun story with that, but I enrolled, you know, signed up, got my scholarship, got, you know, my acceptance, all the financial stuff was set in place. And then we said, Hey, can we come and, you know, let's look at the buildings, make sure they're going to work. Where where am I going to sleep at? Where am I going to live at? And, you know, they didn't have dorm rooms designed for somebody with a wheelchair. So they came up with this very creative solution to give me and my roommate a triple room instead of a double room so that I would have the extra space which I I hate to admit this to the public, but it turned out to be quite a party room. And we had a lot of fun because there was so much room in there. There's so much room for activities. uh, Yes, exactly. Uh, So we had so much fun with it. And, and, you know, the school itself, of course, they they didn't have the infrastructure. And, you know, it's a campus that's older and you don't want to destroy some of those buildings, but really kind of funny in the beginning how they kind of said, we're going to get creative with this. And it, it right. worked out to be a, a big party for me. Okay. I have a question that's not making any sense to you. How tall are you? I am five foot. Ah, so were you born then having to need a wheelchair? So my mom had not had any ultrasounds when I was born. She was like the epitome of health. She still is, you know, exercises the perfect amount, you know, didn't drink a coffee or an iced tea while she was pregnant. Like she did everything right. So I come out of the womb. This was the eighties. She has no pain control, no ultrasounds. She just country girl. Yes, yes exactly. Strong woman. Exactly. Her yes. baby's supposed to be perfect because that's how they all come out. Yeah. So I come out and the doctors can see in my legs that there's some deformity. I had club feet is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And so they, they hand me over to her and, and, you know, they're trying to explain that there's something's not right. And, you know, they need to do some further evaluation. And she's just in utter denial. Like mm-hmm. nothing is wrong with my baby. I love my baby. Like, please go away. Leave us alone. So you know, eventually she kind of comes to terms with it. But I spent the first several years of my life in and out of doctors having surgery on my feet and my legs. So for all intents and purposes, I appeared to be a very normal child, other than the fact that I would often have casts or splints or you know some sort of leg brace on that would slow down the pace of a normal child would typically walk or crawl. I did walk for a few years. It was right before kindergarten. So you know, two, two, three years before kindergarten, and then I started having a lot of pain and ended up moving to a, a wheelchair at that point. So there was a very short period of time where I was walking, but very, very quickly after that, I started using a wheelchair full time. It's interesting because the reason I ask is in Maria Stein, you have the look, you're pretty, you're blonde. The only thing was how tall you were in your wheelchair. Cause oh my gosh, Kevin, these girls are like six foot in high school, really? right? Oh, they're huge. They are. Yes. They're pretty, they're blonde, and they're six foot. All of them. I was curious because yeah. that was a random question. Yeah, I didn't know if that I was, the, I didn't know if that was <laughs> the medical question or no. something else. It was a Matt conference question. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. part, part of my diagnosis is that there is a short stature. I'm actually very tall for most other people that have my same diagnosis. And I attribute it to exactly what you were saying. Everyone else in my community, my, my genetic chains on both sides are all very, very tall. Mm-hmm. So interesting. It is. 
Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home? Okay. I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well, thankfully, we know just the builder. You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies. Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E companies.com. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. So back up a second here. When you decided, hey, I want to take a sabbatical, I want to take a year off, you were an executive at mm-hmm. a large company, I believe a Fortune 500 company. You had 250 mm-hmm. people that reported up to you, and yep. you decide, I want to take a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. First off, what was it like to walk in and resign and say, I'm, I'm leaving? And then the second thing is, what were some of the advice that people gave you? Did you get any weird advice when you told people what you were doing? Okay. So I'll answer the first question first. I didn't take it lightly. It wasn't like I decided on Saturday that, oh, on Monday, I'm going to quit. You know, There were months of conversation and thought process going into this. And that's 250 people's lives that at the end of the day, I am impacting, You know, right, wrong, or whatever. Maybe it's for the better if I left, maybe for the worse, probably depends on the person. But knowing that there is that trickle effect was really, I, I took that to heart and I took it very seriously. So it was a difficult decision for me, but I also knew that I was at a point where if I continued to stay in that role, I wasn't going to be performing well for much longer. And that was also going to have that same type of effect on those 250 people. The conversation itself, when I put in my resignation was obviously stressful. I had a boss who I had become friends with and you know really respected each other. There was very much a mutual respect and I felt like I was breaking up with like a high school boyfriend or something. That, you know, it's like I, I don't mean to do this, but I have to do this. And it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a difficult decision for me. One yeah. I, I don't regret because, like I said, at the end of the day, I needed it for myself, and that impacts everyone that I'm working with. So, what were some of the weird things that people may have said to you, whether it's family, friends, coworkers? Did you get any weird advice from people? Because resigning from this type of position is not common, mm-hmm. right? That's not a normal situation. Mm-hmm. Plus to tell mm-hmm. them, hey, I'm just traveling for a full year. So mm-hmm. what were some of the mm-hmm. things that people said to you? Or I thought that you were crazy to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that there was a lot of that. I think a lot of people didn't understand the difference between a sabbatical and retiring and like wanting to reshape my future. And there was a lot of messaging, different leaders within the organization. Like, how do we how do we say that she's retiring? Because she's in her 30s. She's she's not retiring. Surely she can't be retiring. And, and I wasn't. I had never and I'm not planning on retiring. Then the sabbatical, that whole concept was such a, a foreign concept to the, the organization I was working for and, and many organizations. You know, someone taking that much time off is just who does that? Why would you do that? So there was a lot of speculation about what was really going on. And I think probably a lot of people thought, is she actually going out to travel or does she have something else lined up that she doesn't want to tell us about? I think probably took a few weeks after I was gone, they realized, yeah, she's actually traveling. But to your point about the comments that people said, the number one thing that I heard people say, and it still sticks with me, is if I were 10 years younger, I would be doing the same thing. And I heard this from all age groups. And I kept thinking in my head, well, you're not too old. You're 40. All right. If you were 30, you'd do it, but you're 40. All right. You're 50. If you were 40, you would go. Like your chance is running out. Your time is ticking away. Don't sit there and tell me if I was 10 years younger, I would be doing the same thing. 
It was in my mind. That's how I interpret it. Their subtle way of supporting me. Oh, Oh, that is good. Okay. You're traveling to all of these countries. What supplies do you need? Because some places have different outlet sources. Some have mm-hmm. different money, currency. So how Weather, do you... Pre- yes. Antarctica that you're so traveling to, How right? do you prepare for all of this? So when I left last May, I was coming to Bali. I'm back in Bali. This is where I'm ending my year of travel. But I didn't know where I was going after Bali. I literally had a one-way ticket and to your point, how do you know what you're going to need? So I brought two t-shirts along, a pair of jeans, a pair of shorts, and pajamas. That's it. (laughs) No! Traveling light. Yes. But I would also say, so that doesn't feel like much. You All of a sudden you add in, I need a computer. I need a computer charger. I need a phone. I need power adapters, as you said, different. And I have a very nice compact one, but it takes up space. I have things like antibiotics if I get food poisoning, which I have, and I've needed those contacts and contact solution and, you know, just all All the little, your day-to-day things, all your toiletries. Yeah. I didn't bring things like shampoo and, you know, I brought a little bit of toothpaste, but, you know, people brush their teeth all over the world. So you can buy toothpaste everywhere, but there was a lot of thought into what do I need and what can I ditch? And the clothes got ditched out most. So are you just buying clothes whenever you need them? Like wear yours until they wear out and then just buy some more? Hey, can I borrow that for two (laughs) days while I'm here? (laughs) So I would do laundry, find a laundromat and and wash, you know, once a week or, you know, every couple days. I did go back to my passport renewed. So by then the three outfits or two outfits that I had were were pretty worn out and (laughs) faded and definitely needed. (laughs) So I was able to refresh with a new set, but. I haven't bought clothes when I'm out and about. I very much am like, this is what I have. I'm also, I'm being budget conscious and it's a slippery slope if you start buying things that you say, oh, well, now I need this, now I need this. And then you're now spending money and you have to carry it with you. Right. Okay. When you go to certain places, like sometimes you have to concern about like the water and mm-hmm. not being able to tolerate it. Is there other situations where you have to be concerned about different food or water or sanitation or anything like that? The biggest thing is the water, the drinking water, but that also goes to like vegetables, like a fresh salad, because it's usually rinsed in the water. So I always do the research, depending on the country, you know, if you can drink the water or not. But in those countries where you can't drink the water, I'm also not eating raw vegetables, which I'll eat them if they're cooked, because if they're cooked, then the, the viruses and the bacteria die off. But you do have to be conscious of the food. The times that I've had food poisoning, I don't think it was because of the water. I think it was because of cleanliness in the kitchen. And so you have someone who goes to the bathroom, doesn't wash their hands, prepares your food, and a couple hours later, you're sick. Uh, I hate to like even share those stories because it's really gross. But, you know, other countries just don't have the... And I'm sure it happens in, in the U.S. too. So what are some of the best places that you visited internationally, whether it's the beaches or Maldives or wherever, what's one of the nicest places you've been, Renee? I love Southeast Asia. Okay. Uh, I love the people. The places I go, there's beauty in all of them, but I particularly love in all the places I've been, the people and just sitting down and talking with the people and not even you know, a tour guide who's, who's going to feed me, you know, their artificial story or what they're supposed to tell me, but 
like the actual local person sitting in a coffee shop that, you know, you just go up to and, and start a conversation with. So that, that is my favorite part of traveling. And the people in Southeast Asia are just some of my favorite, the, the culture, the religion, just the kindness of the people just warms my heart. I, I just love it so much. And there's something that draws me to it. So that would be my, my most beautiful place. If I had to put a label on beautiful, you mentioned the Maldives. Yes. The Maldives are aesthetically one of the most beautiful places ever. You've seen pictures of it and the pictures are what it actually looks like. Like they're not, they're not artificial. It is actually what the Maldives look like. It's a stunning place and a a place like, like no other. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about Forget it. about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Okay, so you've been in a lot of airports. You have flown on a lot of planes. What is Uh the craziest thing you've seen on an airplane? Because I typically see something crazy every time I fly, (laughs) and I only fly like twice a year. So what is one of the craziest things you've seen at an airport or on an airplane when you're traveling? Oh my gosh, that is a fantastic question that no one has ever asked me before. So I don't have an answer off the top of my head. I mean, gosh, I don't know. The things that people bring on the airplane and eat, especially in some parts of Asia, there's some very different types of food and they bring on, they smell, they're very strong. Um, people taking their clothes off, you know, their shoes and they're you know, putting their feet up on the back of seats up against people's heads. It's very, very gross. That's awful. Um, it's horrible. Yeah. And some of, in some places, culturally, that's just what you do. So I've had some of that, but I don't know that there's been anything super, super strange. Well, go ahead. I was going to say, you mentioned her going to Antarctica. Yes. I want to hear about that trip. Yeah. So that trip, I, I went this past November. So just four months ago, that trip has been years in the making. So I went with my family and my boyfriend on that one. It was a big trip that we had planned to go on in November of 2020. So we all know what happened in 2020. Yes. And they were not about to put 200 people on a boat for a long time. So it kept getting pushed back and it kept getting pushed back. So it finally happened this past November. And so we finally we finally get on the ship and we're on our way. It, it took two and a half days of going through the Drake Passage, which it is the most dangerous open water uh, channel in the world. So we're on this boat, literally just bouncing back and forth, back and forth for two and a half days. Motion sickness, you know, nausea, taking all the medicine, and the whole boat is this way. This isn't specific to me and my family, but two and a half days of just bouncing around. And then one morning we wake up 5am, the boat is completely still. And we go outside and we see just icebergs and snow and all like the pictures we see Antarctica. And it felt like we had just gotten off of a space shuttle because, you know, we've been jerked around, tossed around. Really? We're nauseous, we're seasick. And all of a sudden, it was like we were on a different planet. It was fascinating and overwhelming and I can't even put the right words to the emotion that comes with it because it's such a unique place that 
very few people are going to go to. Mm-hmm. Are you sleeping outside? So <laughs> we did sleep outside one night. Okay. There's an option. It's an optional activity that you can sign up to go camping on Antarctica. And we were at the beginning of the season that there were two other excursions that had gone before us and they weren't able to camp because the weather was so bad. It gets very windy at night and it snows at night. So they told us we could go. We were super excited. We're like, yes, you know, we're going to go camping. We're camping in Antarctica. So you get on these small little boats, these Zodiacs, and they drive you over to the little island area where you're going to stay. We get settled in and about an hour in after there's no way of getting back to our, you know, our big boat that we wanted to be on. It starts to snow, it starts to sleet, and the winds are about 30, 40 mile an hour. <laughs> and you're stuck here. Yes. <laughs> yes. In they, they call them a bitty bag. I would I would call it a semi-waterproof sleeping bag. So and the snow is just coming down on you and it's so heavy that you literally are drowning in the snow. You try to kick it off and it's heavy. You kick it off and it we were all lined up in a row close to each other. So I kick the snow off. It goes on to my sister. She's like, no, you're going to bury me alive. She kicked it back to me. And we're just laying there. It was, it was such a cool experience. But while we were in it, there were moments where we all cried and said, oh my, we're going to die on Antarctica. Even come and get our bodies. Like It was... Like I said, it was cool after the fact. Going through it was intense and very, very scary. But who gets to sleep on Antarctica, you know? How cold did it get overnight there? Do you know? It didn't actually get that cold. It got down to air temperature was around 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just a lot of wind and a lot of snow. Yeah, the wind and the snow. And, and the minute you get out of your bivy bag, your sleeping bag, that snow hits your face, you know, and it's just like ice cold. And it's, it's scary. I think that's the biggest piece. It's like, we can't get back to safety. We're literally stuck here. You don't want to even have to think about going to the bathroom because, you know, there's a bucket. Oh. And yeah, so you, you're just like, when is this going to be over? I want warmth. I want no wind. I want safety. And then you get back, take a nap, and it's like, oh my, I slept on the Arctic. How fantastic. Well, I have so many questions to ask you right now. So yes, <laughs> so so many questions. So like, was it just your family? Was there a tour guide? What about animals? Like, Do you have a weapon? Do you have a weapon? Yes. <laughs> All right. So the ship itself, we were on a ship. There were, there were about 150 people total on the ship, including the crew. So from a camping standpoint, not everyone chose to go camping. I think some of them were a little bit wiser in their choice, but (laughs) about 50 or 60 people went camping and we had, we had four guides with us. Okay. So that are trained in this, they've done it. They have the weapons, they have resources, they have extra supplies in case we truly do get strained in there for a few days. So they didn't just say, Hey, good luck. As far as animals, tons of penguins. Although they didn't come up to us while we were sleeping. They didn't really come up to us too much at all on any of our excursions, but ton of penguins. That was, I mean, that was my favorite part. And then a couple seals. But really beyond that, like there there were a lot of birds. I don't know much about birds. I will admit my ignorance there, but a lot of birds. So it's not like you had to be cautious of like polar bears. I was dodging polar bears coming after you at night. Yeah. Nothing like that. So interesting fact, there are, no polar bears in Antarctica. Polar bears only live on the North Pole. Oh. And penguins only live on the South Pole. Now, that is a good fun fact. That is. Hey, you can tell that high northern education right there. <laughs> She's smart. <laughs> <laughs>
Kevin, did you know the two things I love to do is eat and support small businesses? That is correct. And Snacks with a Twist checks both boxes. From specialty pretzels to sweet treats like peanut butter bark and our kids' favorite Buckeye and Marshmallow Pops, this store is a one-stop shop for snacks, treats, and gifts. You guys will not be disappointed with anything you purchase, and they will ship it to your doorstep. They are a proud sponsor of Tell Us a Good Story. All right, Renee. So for all of our guests, I like to give a list of fun facts to let listeners know what you've done, what you currently do. And Steph typically is not aware of these. Okay, so you'll see her genuine reaction. Ready, Steph? Fun fact number one. Renee graduated from Marion Local (laughs) High School. (laughs) Yes. We've established that. But here's how we came across your information, Renee. Steph's mom found the article that was written about you in the Daily Standard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Which is like the Salina. local newspaper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. forwarded that to me and said, hey, check this out. She might be a great person to talk to. And literally, this was maybe a week ago, two weeks ago. And so just very quickly, we were able to find Renee's contact information. But that's how we found your name is from the local newspaper there in Salina. Seriously, what a small world. I was wondering how, because you had mentioned when you sent your message that that someone had recommended you speak with me. And I was wondering, I was like, who could that be? (laughs) It's all coming full circle. Fantastic. That's amazing. All right. So most of these have already been discussed at this point, (laughs) like Marion Local High School. Okay. But just a few weeks ago, Renee learned her name had been etched in the pages of the Guinness Book of World Records for visiting the most countries in a single year with a wheelchair. So she mentioned this earlier. She visited 66 countries in 2022, bringing the total number of countries she visited to 117 in all seven continents. So what do you get when you win a Guinness Book of World Records. Please tell me they send you something nice and not just like a little piece of paper, like a participation award or something, right? Like, do you get anything special? Unfortunately, you get a certificate. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say that, yes. And I have a very nice frame on mine. There's a very specific Guinness wooden frame that comes with it. Okay. You have to buy that. So (laughs) you literally get the piece of paper that, you know, has your name on it. And I guess you get bragging rights. You know, I guess that's something. That's true. How did that all get up, like brought about? Like, did somebody nominate you? How do you prove you've been to all 117 countries or I guess 66 countries, right? Within the year. How do you prove that? So it started right before I left for the sabbatical. I thought, you know, I'm on this, this journey to go see the world. I'm guessing that there's not a lot of people that are doing this with a wheelchair there must be some record out there that I can break. I I wasn't necessarily out. That wasn't my mission for the sabbatical, but I was like, well, I'm doing this, you know, it'd be cool if I could get a Guinness world record. Why not? And again, it was not, that was not my focus of this, but I sent them a message. I have an online portal. I exchanged a couple messages with the gentleman that I was working there and, and, you know, tossed around a couple ideas about how we could make it work. And, And we ended up coming up with the one year most visited in a wheelchair. So he came back and said, these are the things that you have to have for each country to prove that you've been to them. So you had to have things like GPS coordinates, pictures in countries, airplane boarding passes or train passes, how, however you came and left each country. And my favorite part was you had to have witness statements from two people in each country signing off saying that they saw you there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So 
that's challenging because in places like Kazakhstan, where they don't speak English, trying to get that, trying to get someone to sign a form is very difficult. But at the same time, people would get so excited and it was a very unexpected response for me. I figured people would just sign it, you know, somewhere skeptical, am I going to get in some sort of trouble with the US government or something? But most were so excited and I'm friends with a lot of them now that we follow each other on social media and WhatsApp and, you know, we're messaging and it was a weird blessing in disguise that I was forced to do this, this witness statement signing because I got to meet people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Very that's cool. very cool. And that's a lot of work too. Yeah. It, it was a lot of work. Yes. Um, once I had it all, I submitted it all through the portal, took one week and a week later I was confirmed. So that is awesome. Like you said, a lot of work, a lot of fun. I'm glad I'm not packing my bag full of boarding passes anymore and receipts from restaurants. Um, but it was it was a fun process to do, you know, one time. You know what I love about you, Renee? It just brings me back home to how competitive the MAC conference is. Girlfriend, you're like, I bet I could do this. And you like set that goal, like being competitive. You're like, I got this. I can do this world record thing. Right, I love right, that. Right. You notice how Steph always brings it back to Northwest Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Always brings it back to Northwest Ohio stuff, don't you? Yes, I do. Very proud of that. <laughs> okay, so you've been on CNN Travel's website. You've been on the Daily uh-huh. Standard newspaper. Have you received a lot of attention from hometown folks since this got into the news? Yes. As soon as it got into the Daily Standard, the community just like blew up. And I wasn't there. I was, I think I was in Australia on my way here when that article came out. But the messages I got from people I had not talked to in years was just phenomenal. And I have obviously a lot of family still living there. And, you know, they, the messages I heard was, you're the talk of the town. There, <laughs> is this rumor true? Is this rumor true? And I'm like, oh, goodness. Small town, Ohio. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. That is awesome. But hey, you know, if they're going to talk about something, I guess let them talk about that. Yes. yes absolutely. 100%. Something good. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Hey, congratulations. What an accomplishment. Thank you. I mean, a lot of planning, but my gosh, hats off to you, Renee. So impressive. I'm so impressed with you because I hate to say this. Like, I have a fear of traveling to another country. Like, how will they treat me? I don't know the language. I don't know, like, logistics of how to go. And you just, like... By yourself. By yourself with your couple of jeans and shirts and like, let's just do this. I'm blown away by your courage, your resilience. I'm just, I'm truly blessed to know you. Even getting to a country like Renee does and the buildings are not accessible with a wheelchair, right? Because she's going to run into that. I didn't even think about that. A lot of countries she goes, right? Especially older buildings. All over. I have been on so many strange men's backs piggyback rides up, you know, flights of stairs. I've shared a lot of sweat with strangers. It's really disgusting. Um, I've had women, you know, just 
when I get a place and I'm like looking at this flight of stairs, you know, even if it's just three or four steps, like, Hmm, what am I going to do here? Like out of the woodwork, people just come. And again, language barriers aside, they just somehow know to pick up on the front of the chair and the back. And before you know it, I'm up in there and there's just like no word said. It's, it's so heartwarming and it has refreshed my, my view of humanity. And it's fantastic to be back in the US and know that every restaurant I go to, I can go to the restroom if I need to. But at the same time, there's there's some cultural pieces I think are different in other parts of the world that I, I wish we could integrate. You know, I can't have it all. I think so. at the end of the day, it's just people are still good. They're still good yes. people. Yes. I say it all the time when I sit down and talk with most people in the world. I think all human beings have this basic foundation of what they need. They want to be loved. They want to have a nice home for their family. They want to talk about their kids. They, you know, they want to have a nice meal. They want to laugh. You know, we all want the same basic things. We just get so wrapped up in all this other fuzz. Mm-hmm. Right. Next fun fact. A few years ago, Renee started a bucket list. And on that list were two things that she wanted to check off as soon as she could. First, spend a week alone in a foreign country. And then second, do one thing every year that scared her to death. (gasps) So what are some of the things you've done that you're like, I've got to do it. I've got to experience this. I mean, in this past year, there's been so many. Getting on the flight to come to Bali by myself was, it was the first time I was really going out into the world by myself, a female alone with a wheelchair, I, I had all, you know, I was prepared for everything. What if somebody comes and takes my wheelchair? I'm a sitting duck then. I can't, can't run away. You know, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. What if somebody attacks me? What if my phone breaks? The list goes on and on. I would say that was my big scary thing for last year. But I think in that whole year, every place I visited, there, there's always a little bit of underlying fear of what is this place going to be like? How am I going to be treated? How am I going to communicate? How am I going to get out if I need to get out? But when you start getting into some parts of the world, you start to kind of take a step back and there is that underlying fear that constantly is with me. So what next year will hold? I have no idea. I'll come up with something though. I believe there's 195 countries. Mm-hmm. You've visited 117. Is one of your bucket lists to visit every country in the world at some point? Is that what you would like to do someday? Yes, Absolutely wheelchair or not? Has anybody ever done that? Nobody to my knowledge in a wheelchair has ever done it. There are worldwide about 300 people who have done it. Wow. So very small percentage of the population. It's difficult when you start thinking of places like North Korea or Syria or yeah. you know Libya. There's, there's some places in the world where legally I, I can't even get into. You don't have access and, to. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's even some that I can get into, but safety wise is, you know, you're walking a fine line for your life. So Russia, for example, right? I would love to go to Russia someday. I'm not going to go this year. Before I get to my last fun fact here, I want to read a quote from Renee's blog. Quote, everyone wants to come to America. I cannot believe that I am one of the 5% of the entire global population who holds an American passport. I cannot believe that because of this blue covered booklet that says the United States of America on it, I am one of the most privileged and coveted people in the world. So Renee, when you're overseas in some of these countries, what is their impression of the United States? So the statement is accurate. Everyone wants to come to America. Many of them want to come and live there. Many of them want to just come and visit. And 
when I talk about the privilege of traveling with a U.S. passport, it is very real. I can go to almost every single country in the world, you know, North Korea, Syria aside, with my passport and just show up. Most other countries to get into the U.S., even to visit for a long weekend or, you know, a vacation, they have to go through an extensive process to get a tourist visa, often costing thousands of dollars. You know, and keep in mind, wages in many parts of the world are much different than in the U.S., And many of them get denied. So many of them don't even get to step foot on the U.S. because they legally cannot. So there's there's that component of it. Their view, most of them, when you sit down and you talk with the average local person in most part of the world, they recognize that the, the differences that the world has are very political and that I'm not the one that's necessarily driving hate between the US and, and Russia or you know whatever whatever two countries are, are at conflict with each other. So they realize that the Americans coming into their country are generally very good people and they're very appreciative of us coming because we bring money into their economy. And they desperately need that. Most countries, you know, not all, but most countries desperately need that money, that tourism money to drive their economy and it feeds their families. So, you know, in general, yeah, everyone wants to come to America, if not to live, at least to see it. And they all want to come to New York City. They think that, you know, their view of of America is New York City. They're not seeing the, you know, the Northwestern Ohio parts of it, but (laughs) (laughs) which is a very real part of America. But, you know, they want to go to New York City. And it's a dream that, unfortunately, just because where they were born, they may never get to check off their list. All right. Final fun fact. I don't know how she's doing this. But Renee is also working towards her doctorate degree in business. So when do you find the time to do that and sleep and plan your next travels and all of that? Like, that's amazing, Renee. I have a lot of airplane time sitting in airports or, you know, transit airplanes and trains. And I, and I have been sticking true to my plan of being back into my accommodation by dark time. So, for example, I'm here in Indonesia. It gets dark at 6.30 p.m. So if I'm back at 6.30 p.m., I have some time to wind down, you know, read, catch up with family, work on studies, you know, all, all sorts of things. Obviously, some parts of the world, the sun stays up longer. So, you know, I'm, I'm out as long as I can. But I do have that time, depending on where I'm at, where I can really get some focus time in. Well, listeners, for more information about Renee, you can go to her website, wheelstravelstheworld.com. And that is where I was able to connect with her. I was able to read about her, get a lot of information. And then she also posts a lot of information about her travels. And she'll be putting her post-sabbatical and future plans on that website as well. So Renee, when do you plan on making a decision then on your future? Because you're traveling until May, I believe, right? So you have two more months. Mm -hmm. I I have some things in action now. I'm trying really hard to just like focus on this last little bit of my journey and like just take it all in and not spend too much energy on the future. But it's hard. Of course, you know, I have these natural fleeting thoughts and I, and I start to get excited about what my future can look like. And, and I've had a year to really sit down and think about what I want to do. So I would say in the next six to eight weeks, I'll, I'll have something to put out there and share with the world. Again, that is wheelstravelstheworld.com. And we'll put that website in our show notes. So listeners, you can just click on it and go right to her website. Well, Renee, as expected, Northwest Ohio girl, Exceeding our expectations. expectations. (laughs) Yes. But thank you so much for spending time with us 13 hours ahead, right? Mm -hmm. 13 time zones away from us right now. So thank you. Thank you. You can now go to bed. I'm sure you're tired, but thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you guys for having me. And thank you to whoever gave the recommendation on the newspaper. I mean, send them my thanks as well. 
Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.